As the racing season winds down, the separation season begins. Now, when I say separation season, I don't mean the season to separate yourself from racing, although that's exactly what many of your competitors are doing. And that provides an opportunity for you to separate from the pack. Within This Is Bracket Racing Elite, we focus on growth year-round, but the gains, they're, they're small, they're incremental during race season for two reasons. Number one, because your attention as a racer is split, right? You've got upkeep, maintenance, travel, all the things involved with the racing season, in addition to a focus on your own growth. And because other racers are working hard at that time too. It's this time of year, this separation season, where putting in the work can really allow you a leg up on the competition. If you're serious about doing just that, and you'd like to surround yourself with a group of knowledgeable trainers and accountable peers with the tools, the resources, the wisdom to help you take that next step, and perhaps even with the occasional kick in the pants to keep you on track, this is Bracket Racing Elite is the answer. We've helped thousands of racers just like you take the next step toward becoming the best version of themselves on the racetrack. Elite can help you do the same. Enrollment is open as of Monday, November 27th, and it closes December 8th. Learn more at thisisbracketracing.com slash elite. And it's all that we know, it's the way you lie. give all that we got, Right, the third annual Mosier Great American $20,000 and SDPC Race Shop Dream Team Challenge is coming up quickly. It's a little over a month away. It's March 26th through the 29th. There are two spots available in Top Ball, eight spots remaining in Foot Break, and eight spots remaining in Junior Dragster category. Get with Britt, get with Galen to secure your spot for this year's unique Dream Team event. Coming to Texas Motorplex, March 11th through the 15th, CP Promotions brings the Pro One Texas Two-Step 50K, presented by J. Allen Sherman Racing Engines and RaceSponsorships.com. Tons of racing for both box and no-box racers for an incredible value. Stay tuned for more details about the Pro One Texas Two-Step 50K. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast with Luke and Jed. I'm Big Jed, Jared Pennington. He's Cool Hand Luke Bogacki. If you're a regular listener, thank you for your patronage. If you're new, you'll probably catch on soon enough. Our goal is to shed some light on the events, news, and issues in sportsman drag racing and the stars within it. Welcome to, or welcome back, to the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast with Luke and Jed, where we sometimes discuss Mike Rice and Johnny Bracket Racer. For today's episode, um, no Jed today. Uh, this is one where I am uh, taking over. If, if, if you listen regularly, you realize that while we're together often, uh, we do switch off a little bit. And late in uh, 2019, we started experimenting uh, with a couple of different formats for our show and for the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast. And one of my favorite formats is one in which we bring on uh, racers that maybe are not the most household name. You know, I mean, we, we've had, we've had um, discussions with Edmund Richardson and Dan Fletcher and Erica Enders and Sean Langdon and other movers and shakers, uh, David Rampey, 
within our sport um, here on the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast. Towards the end of last year, we tried to begin to select occasionally uh, racers that, that names may not be as recognizable because we realized that there are incredible stories within our sport that are not limited to the names that we're all familiar with. Um, and that is the, the premise of today's show. Today, I'm gonna be joined by a, uh, a bracket racer out of central Kentucky by the name of James Wester. And James is gonna share a, a story with us that he shared with me personally. I found moving, um, motivational, inspirational, um, and just a, I don't know, just a story that I felt like you, the listener, would want to hear. Now, in the process of these episodes, if memory serves me correctly, we've done two of these prior with um, Scotty Bodmer and with Mitchell McKinney. And if you missed those episodes or you haven't listened to them or you're just being introduced to the show today, if you like what you hear today, I would strongly urge you to go back to those shows as well. Those are two of my favorite episodes of this podcast. And the theme between both of those with, with Scotty and Mitchell was family and specifically talking about an introduction to racing either through or with um, their individual fathers. And then in Scotty's case, it was the process of, of losing his father and now sharing a similar bond with his son kind of rooted in and based around our sport. Today's conversation with James Wester has a similar tone. Like it's, it's, it's all about James's relationship with his father and how racing and how our sport has strengthened that bond and how much it means to both of them to enjoy this together. And um, with, with, a, with a really unique twist that you'll hear as we go on uh, and as James tells his story. So without um, trying to use my words to, uh, to, to overshadow or lessen the impact of James's words, uh, I will shut up and introduce you now to James Wester. It's time for The Big Interview on the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast with Luke and Jed. Hi, right, joined now by uh, James Wester. James, as I mentioned in the uh, in the preview, is a, is a bracket racer from Greenville, Kentucky. Got a really uh, interesting story that he shared with me personally, um, and, and that I'm looking uh, looking forward to him sharing with all of you here today. But uh, but James, let's start from the beginning. Um, tell me, you got introduced to our sport and and. I guess a little bit of a non-traditional way. Tell me how you first kind of stumbled into uh, drag racing in general. You know, always at a young age, like a lot, of, I had interest in cars. You know, then you would see, uh, uh, you know, we'd go cruising around town, which was a big thing, and then you'd see a car, and you know, one had a cam in it, and, you know, had a little bit of sound, and you thought, okay, you know, and you thought they were cool, or at least I did, and most people I think did. So it's like one of those things you want to kind of, you kind of imitate what, what, what you feel like you want to be. And uh, then you used to go to the drag strip and watch and things like that. And just basically just fell in love with cars in general, just mainly because I thought they were cool. 
For sure, for sure. So at what point did it get steered to the racetrack? Basically, we got into to the racetrack part was uh, we would go to, to the races and watch. And uh, knew a couple people locally that raced and things like that, and that always made it more fun. And, and we'd go to our local track, which was Windy Holla, uh, over in Owensboro, and we'd go watch. And, you know, you just uh, – which I grew up close to uh, watching, you know, Lynn Ellison – was racing around. His dad Raymond at one stint early was still running, and and just different people. And uh, a kind of a funny story to go back a little bit. Uh, I grew up right down the road from Thomas Arnett, and he always had race cars. And a lot of times you'd see his truck trailer, maybe a car sitting out on a trailer out, and like you drive by and you're like. Uh, as a young kid, I thought we were always, you know, I'd ask, well, what's that? And my dad said, oh, it's Thomas Arnett. He drag races. And, you know, we talk about cars and things like that. But how we got mainly at the strip was we were sitting and watching the races one night. And uh, I just, it just hit me. And I told my dad, I said, I'm fixing to build a race car. Just and like he, that. Just like that. I said, because, I mean, it was basically one of those things I wanted to be. I wanted to be that guy, and that's mainly the reason because I thought it was so cool. And and I I looked at him and we we fooled around with the old truck I had uh, that I'd got. We we played with it and maybe done a cam swap, different things. And we'd go and run testing tune and and just different stuff like that. And then you know I found I knew real quick that, that was just a toy. And then after sitting and racing, sitting and watching the crowd one night, I just looked at my dad and I said, I'm fixing to build a car. This is what I want to do. So that's kind of the way it all started. So unlike myself or unlike Jed, um, like we were introduced to the sport because our fathers raced, right? You right. and your father both kind of came into this together to some extent right uh, got interested in racing you said there's influences in your area you know what i mean you got right. neighbors you got thomas arnett interested in racing um so you go to the track and you see the the local heroes like the lynn ellisons and that kind of fuels the fire a little bit more but really for you or your father there's no previous history of on-track experience like you this obviously is something that you decided hey i'm passionate about this i'm going to get into it and your dad right. had your back right from the beginning right right it's just one of those things we both enjoyed it so it's like why not do it so that's how it all started yeah and at what what age how old are you when this is kind of beginning to take shape when when all this i was probably you know, with the truck and things like that, I was in the, the 16 to 17, you know, 18, 19, fooling around through there. Then I actually, I built the car in uh, 1999 is when I started. So I'm roughly at this point, I think 20, maybe, something like that. Had a job and decided that's what I was going to waste my money on. <laughs> we all got to have somewhere to put it, right? Right, right. So at that point, um, like at, at, at that point in life, explain a little bit about your relationship with your father and where he's at health-wise, because obviously he'd had some complications years prior. Yes, yes. My dad took and uh, he had a stroke 13 days before my 16th birthday. And to be honest, uh, that is the only reason that I got the pickup truck that I had. 
and uh, because at that point he'd been disabled and he, he didn't drive anymore. And uh, they decided, I always wanted the truck. It was a 1970 Chevrolet truck, and it wasn't a show truck by any means. But it was, it's, I just loved it. And uh, always growing up, I wanted the truck, and I ended up getting it due to that. That's not how I wanted to receive it, but that's the way that it worked. And uh, I, I packed a lot of groceries at that time and got it fixed up. We had to fix the brakes and put decent tires on it, things like that. And uh, we just, we just, at that point, you know, one thing is that's kind of odd. You know, my dad worked a lot a lot up until this point and we always had a good relationship but we didn't have a lot of time you know and at this point then we had time and we we kind of we went from we just become best friends honestly at that point we got to where we almost done everything together and we fixed the old truck up together and uh you know we go the races together still to this day everything we do i see him and hang out with him every chance i get he's my best friend and uh what um just for for curiosity and for listeners sake what are some of the the physical limitations that your father since that initial stroke that first initial one he had and be, and he's had some since which comes into the story uh his balance his balance isn't real well and it, it, it kind of messed with his speech and uh we have a big uh you still there? Okay, I'm sorry, I had a phone issue. Yeah, you're good. Uh, we kind of joke, and uh, they say that uh, he sounds like a Cajun ever since because, you know, it slurred his speech, and he has different things, and, and uh, head weakness on his left side. And, you know, he, he's overcome a lot, and he continues to to overcome a lot every day. He's still to this point. But, but yeah, he's he's a little slow and things like that, but he stays with it. So when I hear you tell this facet of your story, James, and, and feel free to, to correct me, like I'm, I'm just kind of summarizing at this point. You come from relatively meager means, but with a father that worked his tail off for everything that you've got. And within that process, you obviously appreciate everything that your father's doing, but you didn't necessarily have that close of a relationship this happens and almost almost forces that right because you've got more time together all right so let me see if i can do my best to kind of summarize and reiterate to this point james and feel free to to interject if there's anything that uh, that i don't have right but um it sounds like you come from relatively meager means but with the respect that hey my dad's working as hard as he possibly can to provide what we've got right and within that, um, within that pursuit, you know, obviously he's, he's working hard and he's working all the time and not that you don't have a great relationship, but there's just not a lot of time with your father. And then this stroke comes and obviously everything changes. And to your point, like, I feel like I'm, uh, I'm, I'm catching the silver lining here is that there's more time and that relationship strengthens, that bond strengthens. You find things that you've got uh, in common. What, was it like, um, I don't like financially seems like too distant of a term, but that's the breadwinner for the family. Obviously he's not able to work anymore. I assume that that brought some hardships of its own, right? Oh yes, absolutely. 
to be perfectly honest, to make a long story short, if it wasn't for my grandmother, we probably wouldn't have made it uh, until things got better, and they did. And then another thing with considering I was, uh, I, I don't, uh, I was probably, I grew up a lot faster than probably I would have under circum, different circumstances, but, you know, it's like anything else. I think I'm better for it today, uh, realistically. So uh, That's where I was going to take the next turn because I would imagine that that, uh, that has a way of putting years on you real quick. Oh, yeah, yeah. It, it's uh, uh, That's most definitely a, a hardcore reality check. No doubt, especially at 15 years old, almost 16 years old, right? Right. Okay, let's let's circle it back to to racing because now you've kind of you fast forwarded a few years. You're in your early twenties, right? Sitting with your dad at the racetrack, watching <laughs> races, and decide, hey, this is what I want to do. So, right. what did that look like at that point? Because it sounds like it wasn't far far removed from that that you had your first Malibu and you were you were making a race car. Oh yeah, we we literally, which I I was lucky enough that I that I had a job, and you know the thing of it is, I was living at home. And when you don't live at home, you don't have mortgages and all the good things that go with adulthood. And, uh, you know, it, we went, I mean, I went straight to work. Like we got in the, uh, we went, I think it was a Saturday and I can't remember, but the next day we were out beating the bushes looking for a car. As I told him, I said, I've got, you know, there's some prospects of things to go look at. And, uh, I ran a call. It was a, Talked two or three people I knew, the, you know, in the, I guess you could say the, the local hot rod community. And uh, they told me a couple places to go look, and I ran across my, my Malibu at a, a guy's house sitting out back on blocks. And uh, I always say that I bought it. I mean, it was just a shell. No, you know, no interior, no nothing. It was just sitting there. Wasn't too bad of a car, wasn't nothing great. And I give $250 for it. And that's the joke. $250 to get into it. And I don't know how much later, but we're still, we're still plugging. Yeah. I, I think, uh, I think a lot of us can, uh, can resonate with that for sure. <laughs> so this is just a, this is a shell of a car, this Malibu. Uh, it's obviously not had any chassis work. It's not back after anything like that. Like right. it's just a, it's just your standard car. How long did it take you then to put that together and get something racetrack worthy? Well, we took, and we, like I said, when we first started, uh, I'm going to say about, well, I'll take that back. It was one summer, probably a year. Uh, July of 99 was the first time we ever took it out. And uh, it wasn't an awful car, but it wasn't, you know, it's the first car I ever built. Uh, it would go, you know, at the time, it'd go 750s, but the first – First time we took it to the racetrack, had a had a cage and stuff, a little six point cage put in it, and this and that. Had a nine inch housing up underneath it, and nine inch tire on the back. And uh, we go, and I make the first pass in it, which was just horrible. You know, I was in and out of it and didn't know what to expect, and this and that, whatever. And be all scared me. And uh, it's so funny because. Uh, the first pass was like an 8.52. And I come back and sweat's just pouring off of me. And my dad says, are you sure you can do this? I said, I ain't got no choice. I done built the car and spent all the money. There's there's no backing up now. And uh, and it's kind of funny to this day. I still joke about that. But 
and and that's it. Like we, this is one of those things that just like when I decided I was going to build it, I'd set my mind to it that I was going to keep it and I was going to do it. So, you know, then we got it lined out and you change this and you change that. And then like around 2007, had some, some work done, put big tires up underneath it, which that makes it back. 2007 will probably be around the date that we're talking about. And uh, just to clarify for the listener, that, that initial 850 blast, that's an eighth mile time, correct? Yes, eighth yeah. mile, yes. <laughs> <He does. laughs> it makes it even funnier now. But, uh, All right, so you get the Malibu rolling and you're, you're introduced to racing as a competitor. How big a part of your program is your father at that time? Oh, he's, he's just like everything else. Uh, he's my biggest fan. He's my crew chief. That's what, the crew chief's what I call him. Everybody around, friends, and everybody calls him. And uh, you know, he's he's got his job that he does, and he you know he and he wants to do. And I laugh at him all the time because years ago I had a little bit of problem with it because he had certain things and still this day that he wants to do. And I said, people looking from the outside in looks like I don't do anything to help you. And it, I said, it's kind of, you're making me look bad. And he's like, I don't care what they think. You know, I want to do the fuel and I'm going to do the tires and, you know, I'm going to do this and that, whatever. And uh, he does what he does. Like, he's, he's, he's my support system and, and he keeps up with, uh, uh, he's got boxes at home, to be honest. He has every time slip, I guess, that we've ever had. And uh, he keeps up. He's a logbook man. And uh, and there one time, uh, you know, we pretty well, I, I'd let him do the predicting because he knew more about what was going on than me as far as, as far as trying to dial the car. So he's been involved since day one. Has there ever been uh, – uh, it sounds like it's rare if it's ever happened. Has there ever been a time that you went racing without your dad? Uh, one time. One time. That's the point of the story, huh? Yeah, that's how. Yeah, that's how we got started. One, one time. Okay. Um, set the stage for this. Like the the year is roughly. Would you say two thousand seven? Roughly two thousand seven, two thousand. Yeah, right in that area. And you're racing at the time at, at Windy Hollow. You're traveling around some, but you're you're involved right. in the track points at Windy Hollow, right? Right. Right. All right. So set the stage for for how this one time in twenty plus years that you went racing without your father. We're, uh, it was, should be, I'm thinking around September, uh, if I can remember right. Uh, there was a race coming up and there was different things. And, you know, we're always, like I said, every Monday through Friday is to get ready to go racing on Saturday and Sunday. And, uh, we're getting ready. Then, then this, it was a late Thursday afternoon, uh, early Friday. It was early Friday. It was early Friday, uh, my dad had another stroke and uh it was a bigger stroke than the first one pretty debilitating and uh, he was uh he was actually at this point completely paralyzed on his left side and uh he was uh he'd been in the hospital and they got everything settled that you know uh survival wise that he was going to be fine but he was in uh rehab Okay, so we get all that situated, and we got the races coming around. Uh, they'd rained out, luckily, the actual weekend of the stroke. And then the next week, 
He said, well, what are you going to do Saturday? I said, well, what do you mean? He said, uh, well, you're going to go racing, aren't you? I said, no, I'm not going racing. He said, why not? I said, well, I'm not going without you. He said, well, that's, you know, a bunch of bull. He said, uh, that's not what, he said, we go to race. You know, he said, just because I can't go with you don't mean you need to stay home. And I said, I'm not going. I said, I'm not going to race without you. It's just, I don't want to. He said, no. He said, you're going to go racing and you're going to win. He said, that's what I want you to do. Okay, well, if that's not pressure put on you, then I, I don't know what is. But, I mean, it's not so much that he was demanding it, but that's, you know, that was his, that's what he wanted to see happen. You know, just like every time you pull in the gate, that's what we want to see happen. Uh, so we get there, and, uh, you know, I'm just – you know, I'm upset. I, I'm not. I'm not comfortable. I'm not. Uh, I'm not in my routine of things. Uh, well, you, you know, got to figure at that point. You've got a lot on your mind, obviously. Oh yes. Plus, your right hand man that's been there every time that you've gone racing that takes care of the stuff that you don't have to fool with. Exactly. It's not there either, right? Exactly. Uh, and I had some friends and some some people that help. You know, it's just like anything else. Uh, you know exactly how it is, and anybody's raced long enough knows you could, you've got good help, but it's just still not the same. Everything's not in the you know, and you just I was just rattled. So we we go on and we get through time runs and everything, and I, I'm just uh, I'm still just don't I'm not feeling it honestly in the back of my mind. I don't even want to be there, but it's just one of those things I was going to do. So we get going and. Uh, we went first round and we went second round, and uh, you know it's like anything else. Once you once you get that, you know, then we're in a race. And once racing starts, you know, it's just we're we're in a, a groove of things. And you don't and have time the, to think about the things that. that right, right. right. Mm -hmm. You're in the middle of of, of battle. <laughs> so third round we win, and we look up, and kind of third round I thought, you know what, this is, I don't know where things looking pretty good. Well, we went fourth round. And I thought, okay, now I'd kind of set, settle down a little bit, and I'm thinking to myself, I thought, I'm going to win this race, and I've got no choice but to win it at this point. You know, I can't, I can't go say, well, you know, I've done pretty good, but I thought at this point I'm going I'm around to try to reel this thing in. And uh, so we go another round. I don't remember how many rounds it was that night. I'm going to say seven. You know, it's a local track with about seven rounds. and. Uh, We'll get down to, uh, if I can remember correctly, I'm pretty sure we got down three cars. And I got to buy going into the final. And then I looked at my my cousin was with me and some other guys, and one of my friends walked up and he said, you know what you got to do, don't you? I said, it's already done. I said, I'm going to win this race. I'm telling you right now, I will not lose this race because at that point, I'll be honest, I don't think it had nothing to do with me. Uh I think it was fate. At that point, at least, uh, at least that in my mind, that's what it was. And I, I said, I'm not going to lose this race. I said, it's not going to happen. It's already done. And I was lucky enough and 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 blessed enough to to be able to win it. You know, and I can remember when I rolled into the the I rolled in the water box in the finals. Uh, you know, I'm not going to lie. I'm like, there, I had tears in my eyes because I knew how important this was. 
So, you know, you got to put all that aside and, and do what you got to do. So we make the round, win the race, we come back, you know, and anybody knows my dad for the most part likes him. He's a lovable guy. He's a good guy to be around. And everybody kind of, as the night progresses, they've heard what's going on and kind of know what's going on and where he's at. You know, we come back and, it, you know, half the racetracks around the tire are up there excited for the win. And uh, he takes, my friend runs straight up to me. He said, take my phone. Said, you got to call your dad. And it was probably, it was after 11 o'clock, I'm pretty sure. I said, I don't know if I need to call over there at the hospital this late. He said, who cares? Call him anyway. So I call, and I bet it, did, it barely even rings. I don't know if it did ring on my end. And he picks it up, and Bubba is what he calls me. And he says, Bubba, you won, didn't you? I said, yeah, I did, you know. It wasn't even said, framed I, as a question, huh? Right. He said, uh, he said, I knew you was going to. He said, I've been laying here all night waiting up, ready for you to call me. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, that was was a great accomplishment for me. You know, I've won some money, and I've won wallies, and I've won trophies. But that right there to me was, uh, was probably my most important win I've ever had. If you think back to that moment, I mean, this is what eight days removed from a pretty debilitating stroke, as yeah. you put it. Um, it sounds like, correct me if I'm wrong, now um, that's in as good a health as he was prior or close. Right. That could not have been crystal clear in, in that moment, right? He's, oh, no. He's handicapped no. on his left side, like, have no idea what the future brings, right? Right. That's a fact. The only thing that, that I knew and still this day that I know, uh, because the doctors, uh, this was September. Like I said, he was in rehab in September, October. He was over there all the way into almost November, a few months. And like his whole thing was with his uh, physical therapist, well, he said, you got to get me going because you got to get me going my next year because of racing season. And uh, they told him, some of them, you know, Mr. Wester, I don't know. You know, we don't know if we can get you there or not. He said, you know, don't get your expectations too high. And he said, well, watch me because that's what's fixing to happen. He said, I'll be ready come racing season. Well, come come, come spring the next year. He, he wasn't jumping very high, but he, he went with me. And uh, – and he's he's determined, and that's that's one thing I've learned for myself uh, from him. He's he's you know everybody's got their own idea, and I know everybody loves their dad, there's, and and should, but uh, I could not ask for a better role model in any way, shape, or form. Uh, if there's anything I've learned over the years, is you don't have control over everything, but you do have control over the things you do have and determination and uh, your, your effort means a lot because he, he knows as many times over the years, he's had different health problems and things since that his thing is he likes to stay busy because he's always said, he's, if I just go sit in a chair, that's all I'm ever going to be. And I know that I got to stay active and he does. He's up and going all the time. Uh, he doesn't drive, but he lives 
close to me and he has the access. He, I got him a golf cart. He, he drives a golf cart back and forth to the house uh, pretty much daily to check on the shop and do his routine. How, um, no, to your point, like I, I've always felt like, and it seems like we said this on a, on a previous episode, I think talking about um, Kyle Seipel and what he's dealing with. Like, I'm not going to be naive enough to say that you can just completely mind over matter and, and get yourself well from a you know condition like a stroke. Right. But to your point, like, if you don't have that attitude, I don't know that you ever get there, you know? Right. Uh, and, you know, at the end of the day, God's in control. He's got the final say and he makes final decision. But I also know that we were given determ we were given determination and like you said it it you can't uh, it doesn't always happen but you can will yourself to achieve things i believe that wholeheartedly how big a role like we kind of look at it from the opposite perspective to this point but how big a role do you think that racing and just having something that that target you said to get back or just having something to get fired up about like that's eight days removed that he gets you know from the lowest of lows to you know one of the yeah. highest of highs right how big a role do you think racing has played in his health and maybe mental well-being over the years oh i, th I it's, there is no doubt in my mind it's been nothing but positive uh the he has so much fun with it, and I joke about it. The longer we do it, I said, he's still, I said, he likes it better than I do, you know. And it, it's just he's he's never driven the car. Uh, he uh, he got in it the other day for because for the first time we've changed a bunch of things, and I took a pictures of him and like to never got him out of it because like I said, he's not he's not very flexible, and and his balance and things. But and that's the thing he'll always tell everybody. Uh, I've never been around the racetrack. He's, but I make every pass with Bubba he's ever made, and that's and that's it. There's no one more excited about going racing. Uh, I mean, I, I I have to challenge that with anybody. No one wants to go to the races more than he does, uh, and especially be from a in a supporting role, not a not a primary getting getting a drive. But he always he always liked it. Uh, I mentioned to you before when he was a kid, you know, he, he grew up on a farm relatively, relatively poor. And, uh, Dallas Jones had, had, uh, I don't know. He said they called it the old black cars, like a 67 model Plymouth. And like he would go down sometimes and wash the car. And in return, Dallas would take him to the drag strip with him back when he was probably 15 years old. So, He's always had a love for the sport. And one of the – I had a man tell me one time, and it, and it is true. He said, I don't know if you realize this or not. He said, but your dad lives a lot of life through you. And I, and I believe that. And I and I, I see that. And that's why uh, – that's why, I mean, we're still doing it today. I mean, and, and I have no intentions as long as he's with me. I've got no intentions ever doing any different. No, when you say that, I – I think that uh, some could look at that as a like a burden of responsibility. I don't get the sense that you look at that at all. I think that's an opportunity to for him to live through you is an opportunity for for you to uh, to, to to augment his life, right? 
Oh, yes, yes. I mean, you know, don't get me wrong. There's always a, you know, I've always been responsible for the, the financial burdens and the this and the that. And, and we've been all over the place. And he'll ride and he'll stay awake with you, but he can't drive, you know. And, uh, but it's not, I don't, I don't look at it as a burden at all. Uh, you know, I've started this a long time ago. My, my grandpa used to say, give me my flowers while I'm alive because I don't want them after I'm gone. And I've, I've lived my life trying to do just that. Now that was a, uh, that was a quote that you shared with me in, in wanting to share this. And, and it's an awesome quote. It's something that I'm remember for a long time. Like, give me my flowers while I'm still alive. Right. Right. Basically tell the people that mean a lot to you, how much they mean to you while they're here, right. While they can hear it. Spend, spend your time doing it while you can. Cause after it doesn't matter. I had, uh, I had two topics for you and I think you answered them along the way. I was going to ask you, who likes racing more? It's pretty Good obvious. Night. If you had to choose, that's dad, right? Right, right. <laughs> Which is saying a lot because I know you love racing. Oh yes, I love racing, but I he's a uh, he lo- there's, there's nothing gets him going more. I completely spaced on my other question. You're gonna have to answer that more. <laughs> I had another one. I swear I did. <laughs> <laughs> it will it will oh that's where i was gonna go all right mark you can pick back up <laughs> sorry i'm adding work for you you still there mark yeah just keep going i never even stopped the recording i'll just right. I'll, I'll just i'll take care of it okay sorry <laughs> and then um like i don't think this is apples to apples at all the, the the probably the most pressure packed situation I've ever been in in my racing was I came into a race it was a long shot to to win a championship basically I, the guy that was leading had to lose first round I had to win the race mm-hmm. and uh and as it ended up that's what happened and as the the night the day wore on like what started as this far off dream like you know magic land like that would never actually happen say like by third or fourth round it it came into focus and at that time i felt significantly more pressure with each win light the way that you talked about this night back in 2007 was more along the lines of like no the the further i went almost the easier it got because it just became more and more clear that this was meant to be like this is how this is supposed to happen is that accurate yes uh and and maybe well, I, I don't know if it's a good thing. That's kind of me of a racer at all. Uh, you got to get me early. Don't let me hang around. Because I, like you're saying, the, the later in the rounds it gets, the the calmer and smoother I am. Uh, because I've always had the uh, mentality. Uh, I had a race one time at Bowling Green years ago. And uh, it was against someone, big name racer. And uh, everybody was coming up, oh, you got to run so-and-so, which I'm not going to say who it was. And uh, I said, uh, so? I said, well, they're good. I said, yeah, I know they're good. 
I said, but here's the deal. I'm not going to worry about it. I said, here's why. I said, we have runner-up money in our pocket right now. I said, if I go out there and win this race, I said, it's going to shock everybody here. I said, and if they go win this race, they just won another round they were supposed to win anyway. And uh, and that, that's kind of that's kind of way I look at things sometimes. Did you I don't win know the if race? it's good or bad. I want to race. <laughs> I want to race. No, yes, I think good. that's a very healthy way to look at it. No question. Um, James, what's your father's name? My my dad's name is Carly. Carly. C a r l i e. Well, thank you for taking the time to open up, tell us your story, Mr. Carly's story. Um, I for one find it like heartwarming and inspirational at the same time. Right. Um, I, I, I'm, I venture to guess our listeners feel the same. Um, anything in closing that, uh, that you want to say, and then I'm not going to let you off the hook. I got some fun stuff for you too. Okay. Well, the main thing that I, like you were talking about it, it is, it is an inspiration. Don't, but don't, he's kind of one of these guys. He's never want anybody to feel sorry for it. You know, and he, he just always says, don't laugh at me, just laugh with me because we have all kinds of fun with all the stuff, but he's just, and he doesn't even know I'm doing this. This is, this will be a surprise to him and he will, uh, he's going to be beside himself to even know that we spoke a little, a little on an interview. You know, so he's he he he's still and he does he's fans of everybody. Uh, he was we were lucky enough at a race in Memphis here a couple of years ago. He got to meet Sean Langdon, and uh, he because he was there and like he he just loves drag racing on every level and, and he's still that way. Uh, then I don't really know what else to add to that other than I'm I'm grateful you let me come on here and tell this because it is something I didn't want to share that's, uh, you know, and the main thing, just try to do just that. You know, give, like you said, give the people that you love the most the flowers while they're here because it, they won't need them when they're gone. Yeah, well, on behalf of, uh, of Jed and Mark, I'll just say that uh, we're honored to, uh, to be able to provide the platform to you to, for you to give the flowers. So cool stuff. Thank you. James, like I said, I can't let you off the hook without having a little bit of fun. I don't know if you're a regular listener to the podcast, but we typically, uh, when we have guests on, we close it out with a little bit of rapid fire. Now, these are just uh, random questions, okay. not typically racing related. Uh, we, we've talked about some, some stuff with some gravity today. We'll back it up and, and just have a little bit of fun if you're up for it. Sure. All right. So what TV sitcom family would you be a member of? Uh, Yellowstone. Yellowstone. Okay. All right. If James, you could race at any racetrack anywhere, it would be. I like Huntsville, Memphis, pretty well. Like Huntsville, nice. Memphis, pretty well. And those and are both I've, from I've experience, like, I assume. Yeah, I've, I've run. As far as a dream track, uh, I don't know that I have one. I ran at Indy. I've, I've, I've been lucky enough to run a few different tracks. I, I can't say I've got one that. That's a bucket lister. Favorite uh, favorite racing event of the last year, maybe of lifetime. Uh, honestly, I really we really enjoy your door car race a lot. 
A lot. I like that a lot. Uh, sports nationals at Beach Bend's always been a, a real big, enjoyable race for us. Would probably be his two, two that we really like. If you were a superhero, what would your powers be? Uh, healing. I'd be a healer. If I, if I was a superpower, I'd like to be a healer. Good stuff. What is the most interesting thing that you have in your wallet? In my wallet? I don't know if there's anything interesting there. To be <laughs> okay, okay. There's some people that got like some kind of goofy keepsake. I thought that we might just hit a home run with that, but I, I, probably 95% of the time you strike out because there's nothing interesting no, in my wallet not, either. No, I've, I've got some things that I keep, but not, not necessarily in my wallet. <laughs> I got you. All right, James, once again, man, thank you. Uh, Mr. Carley, uh, when you're listening, because I'm sure that uh, this will be brought to your attention. Um, thank you. Thank you for allowing James to share his story, even though it doesn't sound like he had much to do with it. Uh, thank you for raising the man that you've raised. And uh, James, thank you for coming on and sharing your story. It means a lot, man. Thank you. I appreciate it. Uh, we plan on trying to tend the door car this race. I'll, I'll, I'll bring him up and let you meet him. Absolutely. Can't wait to see you guys there. All right. Thank you. As we get closer to racing season, you'll need to start thinking about which of your parts could use a tune-up or replacement. Keep BTE in mind. For all of your high-performance transmission needs, torque converters, parts, complete transmissions, whatever you need, BTE does it all. Check them out at bteracing.com or find them on Facebook. I want to thank everybody for tuning in. To make sure that you're the first to know when next week's episode is available, subscribe. And, and, and you can do that on Google Play. You can do that on iTunes. You can do that wherever you are accessing uh, our show today. Just subscribe. That way that you know that you have got the latest uh, edition of the podcast. You'll be the first to know. And do us a favor. Tell your friends about the podcast. Get your track involved by broadcasting portions of the Sportsman Drag Racing podcast over the PA on race day. The Texas Motorplex will be the place to be. From March 11th through the 15th, Cody Pollage and CP Promotions will bring the Pro One Texas Two-Step 50K presented by J. Allen Sherman Racing Engines and RaceSponsorships.com to Ennis, Texas. Box racers will run for $50,000 on Saturday, surrounded by $10,000 to win races on Thursday. Friday and Sunday. No box racers will run for $7,500 to win Saturday, surrounded by five granders. Complete weekend entries provide the best bargain at $650 for box, $400 for no box, respectively. There will be racer appreciation dinners. There will be a cool last chance lotto. First and second round losers can purchase a chance for $10 to be drawn and put back into round three each day. Check it out on the CP Promotions Facebook page or in one of our posts on the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast Facebook page. All right, quick update on arguably the biggest event on the calendar in 2020. That is the Great American Guaranteed Million. The guys at the Great American Guaranteed Million have some updates, have some announcements. They are down to 67 entries remaining in the Guaranteed Million, and those spots continue to sell daily. There are seven, yes, seven 
gamblers races scheduled all across the country. So keep a close look out for those on the Great American Facebook page. It could be a chance to win an entry into the big event for a very small investment. Mickey Thompson Tires is on board as the title sponsor of the Great 48 bottom ball portion of the event. This landmark event will feature the Scoggin Dickey Performance Center factory stock shootout presented by SamTac. This will be a much watch, must watch portion of the Great American Guaranteed Million. Coming to Memphis Memorial Day weekend.
Enrollment in This Is Bracket Racing Elite is now open. You've heard me discuss, or at least reference, This Is Bracket Racing Elite. It is the premier offering of our website, thisisbracketracing.com. Elite is a membership community designed specifically to help you get from where you are today as a racer to who you want to be as a racer. Led by knowledgeable professionals, Justin Lamb and myself are longtime instructors and we bring in a host of guests, racers that you know, racers that you respect, led by knowledgeable instructors and surrounded by supportive peers that are ultimately striving for the same goal in their own unique way. The truth is at each event, there are a hundred plus entries. There's one winner. At the end of each season, there's one champion. That feeling, not so much the money, not so much the trophy, that feeling of achievement, that sense of accomplishment, that tip of the cap from your peers, that's why we do this. You can dream of that feeling all you want, or you can take action, take steps toward becoming that racer. If you're ready to take the first step, this is Bracket Racing Elite is for you. Enrollment is open now for a limited time. Learn more at thisisbracketracing.com slash elite before we close the doors again on December the 8th.